The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adept of the Mechanicum, or a mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find your place here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, broadcasting deep within the bowels of the Vengeful Spirit. Well, fuck a duck. That is just as creepy every time it does it. Yeah. Craig, why do you have to be such a creep? I mean... It's not his fault, man. Look at his dead eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome back, everybody, to another special Heresy Grad School segment uh, with Dave, Jason, and uh, myself, Pat. Uh, We're just remarking on how creepy our recording robot looks. He's just really creepy. He is. He's like a bear. He's got dead eyes, but he's also, like, way too into it. He's very eager. I think what makes it creepy is, like, he didn't used to talk, and now he started talking to yeah, us. Yeah, but what you guys don't hear is when he joins the chat, he essentially says in this very hollow, robotic tone, now recording, and it's just really creepy. And there's, like, a ta-da kind of fanfare stuff going on. You can really feel his hatred for, like, breathing humans, <laughs> those words. So. Creepiness aside, what are we looking at today, Pat? Well, um, well so we're getting back into the corn deeps. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting back into the corn deeps. Uh, specifically, uh, Manichaea and then the the Cyclops uh, cluster. Excuse me. Excellent. So the first thing I noticed about the conquest of Manichaea is all three of us pronounce it different. So that's going to be entertaining as we go. (sighs) All right. Make a drinking game out of it, folks. Yeah. Every time I pronounce it correctly, take a shot. Stick with me, and we'll get you next tested. And every time I pronounce it correctly, take two shots. (laughs) All right. Now, talking of Manashea, uh... We briefly touched on this last time in our sort of overview episode. Uh, the big points we want to get across about Manashea, uh, it's sort of the first of an almost uh, template base to the attacks Horus starts to launch, uh, reseizing this territory he's conquered during the Great Crusade. But it's actually personally led by Horus, this sort of uh, dark compliant, returning back the way he's come. And uh, takes place between 006 and 008 M31. Now, last time we mentioned uh, the entire Coronid Deeps, it's a pretty big deal. The issue that the entire Coronid Deeps is having right now, the Ruin Storm has more or less severed it completely from the Segmentum Solar. Nobody knows what's going on. Uh, Manashea itself, it's a really highly developed hive. It's the seat of power for multiple subservient systems. You've got the Cyclops Cluster, uh, which is a really mineral-rich, highly mineable chain that we'll talk about here in a minute. Last time, uh, Dave mentioned Port Maw. That's very iconic, even on into the 41st millennium. It's a major staging point for loyalists throughout the war. 
Uh, you've got several night worlds. You've got two full-fledged forge worlds that we'll be talking about a little later. You've got 20 or more aggro worlds. Now, this entire system is on high alert from Istvan 3. Like we talked about last time, it's not so much a warning from the Imperium at large. The Imperium at large is trying to tamp down on Istvan 3 atrocity getting out and about. Uh, this is actually because of uh, renegades and survivors from Istvan 3 falling back through the system. And because it is uh, very adjacent uh, to the Istvan system. Now, the whole system of uh, the Coronid Deeps is mainly defended by Solar Auxilia and Imperialis Armada. Uh, the Solar Auxilia are pretty hardcore veterans. Uh, they're mostly regiments from Manichaea itself and Agathon. And they have been hardened down. Uh, it's hundreds of thousands of these guys from years of Xenos incursions and rebel uprisings. And uh, even a few like whole-scale Xenos invasions. They're not you know, new, green, you know, mortals. These are hard-bitten guys that have been defending these things for decades. So in the last part of 006 M31, uh, official word finally reaches the government of the Coronet Deeps that the traitors won and broke out of Istvan V. And actually still disbelieved at large until loyalist uh, remnants and survivors start to trickle in. Because again, the Ruin Storm has pretty much cut them off entirely. So one thing I wanted to take a little side note here and talk about is this little box off uh, called the Sundered and the Black. And let's see, this is going to be on page 19 of book four. And I thought this was really cool. We touched on something sort of similar back during our uh, Istvan 3 coverage. But uh, it's really neat because it's another thing that where Forge World has very cleverly worked into their own history, basically a, a free range to like, you know, hobbyists, enthusiasts, you know, to go out there and do what you want to do. Because they list here, uh, <laughs> it's a kind of neat little quote, uh, truth is the first casualty of war and rumor its first child. So the deal here is that everything here is moving really, really fast. Uh, Astartes are rolling through stuff. Solar Auxilia are like getting mowed down. The Mechanicum Togmata uh, are fighting back and forth. And the full truth of the entire deal is way more complex than like anybody has ever been able to put together. And there are entire stories that like have never been told. So it's a really neat way of Forge World telling you to go out there and do your own thing to feel comfortable doing it. Uh, they mentioned that there are many, many Shattered Legion elements fleeing from Istvan V. Uh, some straight disappear. We never know what happened to them. Some lead guerrilla wars well into the scouring. Uh, there are elements and sometimes entire companies of otherwise loyal legions that agreed with Horus and become sort of like the outcast sons of loyal legions, which I think is pretty cool. Or, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jason. Or uh, in the other direction, you got elements of trader companies like uh, Garrow is a pretty famous one that uh, stay loyal and 
they're of course a little more common but go ahead pat what do you got oh no i mean it it gives perfect like fluff justification for anyone doing a shattered legion army anyone uh you know kind of wanting to mix up how their tacticals look or you know just you know not to be run of the mill with one army exactly they got um they have a lot of good examples here too like um they have defaced uh night lords uh that have defaced their armor attacking traitors at esteban three or you've got uh guys that have reworked their armor into the iconography of the uh, dusk raiders attacking iron warriors at kebron uh, and malinch's fall i really like uh will isn't gonna like this but at the siege of uh Mezoa, I know you're going to spell it differently. Uh, there's like iron hands that have like sons of Horus markings on them and things mm-hmm. like that. Or uh, my favorite, which would uh, send Austin into a small seizure, are uh, space wolves bearing the serpent's eye, uh, slaughtering millions of innocents at Neo Cadiz in 008. Haha, <laughs> take that, furries. But <laughs> it's really. Um, it's a neat way of Forge World surreptitiously working into their own lore and telling you, hey, don't be afraid to go out there and make things that are out of the norm. Play Loyalist Night Lords if you want. Nobody cares. We don't. Go do it. Have fun. Except word bearers. Those assholes are traitors all day, every day. It's in the rules. But, uh, getting along a little past that, uh, we are looking at the scourging of the Cyclops cluster. And this is one of the biggest and most important of the engagements of the Coronid Deeps. This kind of sets the whole thing off, more or less. And it starts off with a really badass quote that we were kind of debating the meaning of. Uh, Now, I know many, many times Forge World folks have said that High Gothic is not Latin, except when it definitely is. but essentially, it's Latin until it would sound cooler to be, like, pseudo-Latin. So this quote in the very beginning here, Mortus autum Horus Rexia, uh, found carved into the corpse of Gwald Numo, imperial commander of Tarakanus from the Tarakanus genocide. And the closest I can figure, Mortus autumn is only in death. Horus is pretty obvious. Rexia is something... You know, approaching king. Um, I'm not terrific with Latin, but as near as I can tell, this comes out to something close to even in death, Horus is your king, which is kind of badass. It, I think it really goes to drive home what we'll be uh, talking about as we uh, go through the Cyclops cluster here, is that Horus is taking the Imperium back, whether he has to burn it down or not. And even if he has to wipe out everything to do it, he's going to take everything on his way back to Terra. So, the very first region of the Coronid Deeps to be attacked is this Cyclops Cluster. And again, it's very resource-rich. It's a real keystone system for the supply of more or less all of Segmentum Obscurus. Uh, and it's really been, um, it's famed for its industrial output, but also like the god-awful harsh conditions. Uh, what's really odd, though, is unlike the rest of the Coronid Deeps, the warp lanes are still relatively clear, 
So it's a very popular uh, flight and sort of an avenue of escape for loyalists fleeing from Istvan's system. Unfortunately, that also makes it really attractive as a target for traders following those loyalist remnants. And the first of those loyalist remnants is a ship from the Third Legion called the Malin Dawn. Uh, it's a very small ship. It's a Gladius-class frigate. Uh, it's first detected in the Gethsemino system. And it's boarded by Solar Auxilia, these uh, hard-ass veterans that we were talking so all they find in the ship itself are dead legionnaires from the 3rd and the 12th. And once they accessed the ship logs, they found that the Malindon really remained loyal at Istvan III. But as it was trying to escape, it was ambushed and boarded by a 12th legion ship. And as it jumped into the warp, all of these 12th uh, legion Astartes board it and there's a running battle between the uh, remnants of the 3rd Legion and the remnants of the 12th Legion back and forth through the decks. And uh, once it got into the warp, about halfway through, it ended up the Astropath was the only survivor. And they attempted to hold out uh, to relay news of the treachery at Istvan Three, But unfortunately, as soon as they fall back and translate into real space, the astropath dies off. Now, fortunately for the loyalists, it ends up, uh, you know, Battle Captain Garrow is, uh, you know, all ready to deliver that uh, message to Dorne anyway. But this is one of those uh, tiny stories that kind of gets lost out on the fringes. So just as the Malindon is being reported and boarded, uh, four enemy ships translate in. They're Havoc-class heavy destroyers. But worse yet uh, is an Eclipse-class battle cruiser. Uh, these guys are from the 507th Attack Squadron, which is the Imperialis Armada specifically attached to the 63rd Expeditionary Force. Which, uh, if you guys will remember, that is Horus's personal expedition fleet. And this Eclipse-class battle cruiser is registered as the Icon and it bears the dark green of the Sons of Horus. So very spooky, uh, coming in the system the first time. So the traitor's fleet here immediately engages these two system monitor ships in the Gethsemane called the Gaius Harab and the Brazen Bull. Now, these things are typical mortal ships. They're not as fast, and they're not as heavily armed as Astartes ships, they're kind of slow and a little clunky, but they are super heavily armed. I think the difference between like a Lehman Russ and a Predator. A Lehman Russ is a lot slower, but hella heavily armored compared to like a Predator battle tank. Uh, and they have some pretty good luck out of the gate. The uh, Brazen Bull actually manages to eliminate one of the Havocs with a lance to the plasma reactor. Kind of a lucky shot there. But, um, they receive a pretty frantic call from what remains of the Malindon schedule uh, skeleton crew that uh, the destroyers, the uh, Havocs, are providing a distraction because these, uh, these really heavily armored system monitor ships are super powerful in formation, but again, they're slow. 
it can be a big problem for them if they get surrounded. So these destroyers are engaging them to the front and the icon is moving into a flanking position. And this causes a huge problem because it makes the crew of the Brazen Bull panic and attempt to come about uh, to face the icon and keep it in sort of the optimal zone for, um, for bringing their weapons to bear. Now, this is a big issue because much like an overlapping shield wall, if you move one thing out of position, now you have a gap in your defensive line. And this allows some of the destroyers and uh, macro cannon broadsides from the icon to really damage the brazen bull beyond repair. Uh, now the Gaius Harab is all out on his own. The destroyers are really quick to just bracket it with torpedoes and cripple it. And in an almost uh, spiteful gesture as the icon is leaving the system, uh, it dumps off a bunch of dread claws with a bunch of uh, angry Sons of Horus legionaries, uh, which are sadly just going to like immediately eliminate any mortal they find when they uh, board the Gaius Harab. And the problem is, without the system monitor ships to kind of uh, put together a defensive cordon, all of the gun stations and the watch posts that surround the planets in this system are really easy to just outrange and outmaneuver because they can't, you know, bring themselves into, you know, any sort of different alignment like a system monitor ship could. The system monitors are there to soak up damage and really form that defensive line. So... Hey, Jason, can I just uh, take a minute here to talk about the um, just the like the awesome uh, lore and description that the black books go into here for um, like void warfare and um, the the war in space surrounding the Horus heresy. We're going to have Austin and Stephen on at some point uh, to kind of go over this with us. but. Uh, it you know already we've introduced introduced like three new classes of ships. Um, so if you're at all familiar with uh, Battlefleet Gothic or Battlefleet Heresy, um, y- you know the the names of these classes of ships. Right, um, they don't exist anywhere uh, in the rules, but you can start to guess at what their capabilities are based on the description. So the, the, the Havoc class, heavy destroyers, right? They're torpedo boats. The Malandon, uh, a gladiator class frigate, you know, it's probably a close quarters brawler. And the Icon, because she carries dread claws, is, um, you know, she's probably a cruiser with launch bays. But there's just, I mean, there's so much depth uh, beyond the storyline uh, that's, is amazingly compelling um, in and of itself, but the you know the attention to detail, the depth that uh, Forge World and the Black Library authors, you know, the corroboration between those two um, go that goes into this. It, I mean, I've said this before. I'll just probably keep saying it throughout the whole um, coverage of of the Coronet Deeps. Like, if if you don't think that. Forge World and Specialist Games and Andy Hoare are going to come out with a Battlefleet Gothic centered in the Horus Heresy um, 
I think you're smoking crack because I mean, it's, it's just, it's all here and it's, it's, it's so fucking awesome, man. Um, okay. Back to you, Jason. All right. So I, I got to admit the first thing I thought of when I heard, uh, eclipse class was, um, in star Wars in the comic books, the, Emperor Palpatine has an Eclipse class Star Destroyer, and it is the coolest, way cooler than a Super Star Destroyer, let me tell you. But um, that's the first thing that came to my mind, and the icon sounds just as badass as Emperor Palpatine's personal flagship. But let's see here. On to. Oh, right, right. So we would be remiss. If we did not mention the uh, message the icon leaves behind uh, with Gethsemane, <laughs> uh, it's the primary inhabited world in this system. Uh, and the icon, as it's leaving and collecting its uh, little brood of dreadclaws back in, let's see here. She left a chilling message behind. It was a message with variation in word, but not intent would be repeated shortly across the Cyclops cluster and in a hundred star systems in the years to come. A dark ultimatum which promised a future only of despair and destruction. Bow before him who is war master. Abase yourselves before his truth. Serve those who serve him. Hearken only to their words. The Imperium is his. Mankind is his. You are his. Submit to the war master or die by his hand. There is no other choice, and you will be given the chance to kneel but once. Horus is Lord, Horus is Death. And uh, that's. There's a series of badass quotes throughout the entirety of the Black Books, but that's one of my favorites. Just got chills down my spine. Right? It's like, you will be given the chance to kneel but once. That would be a terrific, like, company tagline. For me, there's a whole series of quotes in the Black Books, but that is definitely one of my favorites. Now, the traders are being very careful to really keep their activities here clandestine. They're being very surreptitious. They destroy the astropathic relay here in the Gethsemane system, which really uh, it prevents any warning from getting out and about. And over this initial assault more than 20 frontier outposts just like the Gethsemane system have gone dark and they're really only discovered at large after an alarm is raised and attempted warnings of Gethsemane are like sent out to all these other places they suddenly figured out that hey all of these other places have gone dark and they have no idea what's going on so another thing that's popping up pretty regularly is that ships and freight passing through the North Stars of the Cyclops Cluster are being pretty regularly lost. Uh, Apparently, there's a very active trade lane going towards the Grail Abyss uh, that ships are just disappearing left and right at. Uh, Now, it's really difficult to plan the entire defense of the Cyclops Cluster because it's literally hundreds of worlds. they're trying to coordinate it from two planets, Laskal and Dominica Minor. And only after this in, the initial warnings have gone out, like from Gethsemane, and they're attempting to warn all these other systems, and they're figuring out that all of these other watch posts have gone dark, 
uh, it's really only then that the scale of this infiltration is apparent. Um, the icon actually pops up again in a system called Terracanus and destroys a docking yard which falls from orbit onto the planet and delivers the uh, same message of following Horus or death. Uh, there's a battle at a planet called Shore uh, between almost a score of capital ships, which are all completely unidentified, but lasts more than nine hours. Uh, there are reports of black hole ships over Darkhaven, which I would assume is a planet, and a very dramatic one at that. Uh, we've got at the edge of the Zarevich system a mass conveyor uh, with cargo of nutrient for millions just disappears uh, en route to warp transit, just drops out and is never heard from again. Uh, one I think is pretty interesting. It's a little insurrectionist revolt on a planet called Moab. Uh, it actually takes five whole weeks to fully suppress a pretty uh, bloody uh, campaign. But things like this are what's starting to happen as the word of the dropsite massacre is coming back. Now they've got Istvan 3 and Istvan 5, and it's uh, news of that spreading through the system. And it's coming to a head and causing fractionation between worlds that have already been like a little suspicious of each other. It's making them even more isolationist and really shutting them down. Uh, planets are starting to withdraw their tithes of ships and uh, militia from the Imperialis Armada and the Solar Auxilia at large. There's even uh, reports of an underground war on uh, Cheopsis Hive, uh, another very heavily fortified built-up hive, uh, almost similar to the underground war on Kalth. And the problem is, though, as big as a deal as this planet is, with the environment of su like suspicion, isolation going on, a lot of warnings and of attacks and whatnot from these planets are pretty much going unheeded as all the individual worlds lock themselves down. Uh, one part I thought was kind of neat, uh, sort of a, a touch to one of Graham McNeil's novels, uh, there was a report of a dragon-proud battle bar perhaps once emerald and gold, seen taking on supplies uh, near a world called Fellwatch Keep. And I think that's a hint to, uh, what is the ship for the salamanders called? The Charybdis? Uh, that uh, features pretty heavily in Graham McNeil's Shattered Legion books. But uh, I think it's pretty interesting that, uh, you know, I do love uh, Graham McNeil's habit of whenever he writes a new book, he touches on feel like every single other book he's ever written so it's pretty entertaining that now uh forge world is touching on grand mcneil's books well it's a very, i mean uh, intricate web yeah i mean we know we know for a fact that they collaborated right we know that alan and andy horror and um aaron dembski bowden graham mcneil and dan abnett we know they collaborated and they talked and they were intricately involved in this process of creating the like the textbooks right because that's what these are right the black books are the textbooks for the horus heresy um and yeah so yeah they're they're amazingly detailed and with with backstory and lore that um you know you could probably hunt down in individual black library books but 
the way they're consolidated here, it, it makes it much more of a, a history, I think, than, um, you know, than anything else. And uh, I think we're about to get to your favorite part here, Jason. <laughs> we definitely are. Oh, we are. Which part would that be, guys? Uh, maybe the Emissary of Mars? I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's tech well, priests and what that have is, you. Uh, Quite a uh, a deep dive there. So are we, I think, are we not going there tonight? We might not go there tonight. I think we should hold on to that for next time. Uh, the goings on of Regulus, that a uh, crafty asshole. I think we should save that for next time. Hey, Regulus is a smooth Regulus operator. Is like Erebus so, you know. for the Mechanicum, slightly less dash, but cooler. <laughs> That's the thing. Everybody hates. Erebus, but like I, do. I can dig. I have yet to even regulus. meet a word bearer that just everybody I know that plays word bearers just loathes Erebus. Like he has decent rules, but it's like it's like ingrained in everyone that like He's after you read the douche. first three books, <laughs> um, he just yeah. It like ugh, it's hard stuff. It's like the opposite of models with bad rules that you play because they're so cool. Erebus is such an asshole that even though he has pretty decent rules, people still don't play with him. Yeah, I've never seen him on the table. Have I've you? Seen, I have. I've seen Steven use him once, and he miscast twice, the second of which uh, exploded <laughs> his own head. It's, that's totally fitting. All right, guys. Well, that is the length and breadth for me for this evening. No, thanks, Jason. Thanks for taking us through that uh, deep dive, guys. And, um, you know, this is the second part of our coverage on the Coronet Deeps. We've got a lot more to go. Um, man, this is going to get this is going to get really good. We're going to get Dark Mechanicum. We're going to get Night Houses. Um, I mean, we're going to get all kinds of, of, of deep lore and, and get into uh, how Horus wages this war of galactic, uh, you know, um, anti-compliance, right? Because he doesn't give a shit about holding worlds. I mean, yeah. he's burn. He's like, it's just scorched earth, man. He's burning as he goes. He's not like, he doesn't give a shit about leaving behind any type of governance. He's... Um, uh, literally sowing destruction in his path back to Terra, and uh, it's dark and it's it's fucking grim. <laughs> it's totally what I want. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna be touching on big battles, but even like there's some espionage that goes on, um, a lot of Alpha Legion shenanigans and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, like you were saying, he he's just burning a path. But I think he's really working on the fact that you know, cut off the head and the yeah, body. Yeah, I mean, will it's, die. it's it's amazing as we go through this. You know, um, like a ship, like the Icon, will take out a planet. You know, you know, a uh, maybe company or less of space marines will bring a civilized world to its knees, right? So, I mean, when you think about the strength of the traitor legions and the way they have to fight back to, you know, the Segmentum Solar and Terra, um, it's, yeah, I mean, this is what it's all about, man. To me, this is, this is totally awesome. 
So, but thanks for hanging out with us, guys. And hopefully we'll see you again next week. I think we're going to try to do this like once a week. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely once a week. And I mean, I think we originally estimated, oh, this is going to be like it a three not. or four episode. I mean, <laughs> it it will not. This is, I mean, I am just, you know, hopefully predicting maybe a seven part series. So, um optimistic yeah um but there's a lot of cool stuff we're gonna cover um you know even like stuff in the age of strife and that kind of stuff um the things you don't think about so i'm really looking forward to it all right crew all right guys cheers all right see ya craig fuck off fuck off craig nobody loves you Recording ended. <laughs>